You have reached a phone call from Paul, a literary hub podcast. To hear more, visit lithub.com. Part 2 of Paul Holden Graber's Conversation with Clive James. I like to think it joins up with my other poetry. Incidentally, I'll be doing a collected poems here. Come spring, we'll be launching my collected poems. I've just finished reading the proofs. And Bob Weil will be doing it for Live Right in the U.S. eventually. How fantastic. Big deal for me. Well, it is a big deal. But I will. And it's a big deal also because, I mean, these books... um, whether it is latest readings or whether it is sentence to life or whether it is uh, cultural amnesia, I think are big deals because they um, establish something that many people until as of late didn't quite realize, which is just how capacious your work is and that it is not... It's not... It, it's not... I you dare know, you say so, but they had a good reason for not realizing it. Uh, I only have to realized what I was up to because I spent a lot of my life in show business. Right. Don't regret it for a minute, incidentally. It paid the rent. It made me well-known, which always helps. But uh, I, I readily excuse anyone who didn't notice how serious I really was underneath because I didn't look it. Nowadays, I think it's easier for people to see that I'm, I'm serious. You're serious, but not without... Um without immediately i mean you you read uh, japanese maple and your commentary afterwards was well in fact i was proven wrong <laughs> and so I, I don't try i try not to lose my sense of humor or to take your take take the seriousness seriously i mean to take yourself seriously um clive i'd love you to read uh, another poem or two from that collection or any collection, I will say that there is a line that um, speaks to me and I will, I think speaks to, to would speak perhaps to many people in, in latest readings. You say, if you don't know the exact moment when the lights will go out, you might as well read until they do. <laughs> yes, and which is really what I've done. I've also I've also watched a lot of television and box sets. Don't let's make me out to be too serious. Yes, I spent well, a lot of time. In it. I've written. I've actually put a a little book together about box set television. I can't tell you more about it now because it's only just we just finished reading the proofs. But that'll be coming out from Yale later this year, and I had a lot of fun with it. But the point is, when I'm writing prose or reading it. The poems don't stop coming. You just never know when they will. They might come in the middle of the night, but I think a poet has to attend to them when they do. When an idea gets into your head, you have to deal with it. And I like to think every poem in this little book, Sentence to Life, did start from a real idea. It was something I had to write. If you haven't got any particular ones you'd like me to read out, maybe I could choose one. Choose one, and, you know, of course, um, I-, I think the, the, the poem that gave the title to to the collection is a, a magnificent one but why don't you why don't you read a couple more and perhaps sentence to life i'll read i'll read that one the one that's called sentence to life it came out in the time literary supplement and uh, i think it put me on course for the kind of poems that i've been reading and writing in the last couple of years 
Here we go. Sentence to life. Sentence to life. I sleep face up as though ice bound, lest I should cough the night away. And when I walk the mile to town, I show the right technique for wading through deep clay. A sad man, sorrier than he can say. But surely not so guilty he should die each day from knowing that his race is run. My sin was to be faithless. I would lie as if I could be true to everyone at once. And all the damage that was done was in the name of love, or so I thought. I might have met my death believing this, but no, there was a lesson to be taught. Now, not just old, but ill, with much amiss, I see things with a whole new emphasis. My daughter's garden has a goldfish pool with six fish, each a little finger long. I stand and watch them following their rule of never touching, never going wrong, trajectories as perfect as plain song. Once I would not have noticed nor have known the name for Japanese anemones, so pale, so frail. But now I catch the tone of leaves. No birds can touch down in the trees without my seeing them. I count the bees. Even my memories are clearly seen. Whence comes the answer if I'm told I must be aching for my homeland? Had I been dulled in the brain to match my lungs of dust, there'd be no recollection I could trust. Yet I, despite my guilt, despite my grief, watch the Pacific sunset, heaven sent, in glowing colors and in sharp relief, painting the white clouds when the day is spent, as if it were my will and testament, as if my first impressions were my last, and time had only made them more defined. Now I am weak. The sky is overcast here in the English autumn, but my mind basks in the light I never left behind. Well, I'm glad to say that poem is quite popular in Australia, which of course is where I came from originally. Something I'm, we shouldn't forget, I'm essentially an Australian poet. Yes. Um, is there a reason why you you mention that it is popular in Australia? Perhaps you mention it as a surprise. I think the Australians are quite pleased when I when I write something about Australia. But now I look at my collected poems and I've just gone right through it, uh, double-checking the, uh, the proof corrections. And I find that a quite a large proportion of my poems were written about Australia, written with the Australian uh, atmosphere and furniture in them. And um, so in a way, I've never really left home. Um, I think one stays where one is and yet one goes everywhere. My model in this is Frost. Frost could talk about the world without ever, ever really leaving the farm. You know, even when he was in England, he was still at home in the in the American landscape. Does one not need to, to leave home then? It depends who you are. I think I couldn't have done without my globe-trotting existence as a TV reporter and 
and maker of programs and so on. But I think there are superior poets who never had to shift a yard. Larkin, Philip Larkin was a supreme example. He never really had to leave his desk in the library at Hull University, and he never really did. Most of his great poems were written there. He just imagined the world. Uh, but some of us have to get out there and see things. But anyway, I don't know where the next poems will well, be coming I, from. You know, uh, another poem that I think would follow the to make it a trinity of reading today on our phone call, um, I think uh, naturally the poem I gravitate towards now is Winter Plums. Oh, yes, let me find it. It's towards the back of the book. It's, towards, uh, it's page 47 in the American edition. Yes. It's the same as the British edition. It's very, very sweet of Live Right to, to just reprint the British edition almost exactly. A very good-looking little book. Very good. I was going to say, as a book to hold in one's hand, it really does provide tactile inebriation. I'm a great believer in the slim volumes. You know, I've still got the original uh, Richard Wilbur slim volumes from after World War II, like uh, the beautiful changes and so on. They're delicious books to hold. Winter plums. Two winter plum trees grow beside my door. Throughout the cold months, they had little pink flowers all over them as if they wore night dresses and their branches, black as ink by sunset, looked as if a Japanese painter, while painting air, had painted these two winter plum trees. Summer now at last has warmed their leaves and all the blooms are gone. A year that I might not have had has passed. Bare branches are my signal to go on, but soon the brave flowers of the winter plums will flare again and I must take what comes. Two winter plum trees that will outlive me, thriving with color even in the snow. They'll snatch a triumph from adversity. All right for them, but can the same be so for someone who, seeing their buds remade from nothing, will be less pleased than afraid? And you know, right now the winter plums are out there and uh, and they are bare, which is enough to scare me, but, but I'm not really scared. If I don't make it to spring, I've, uh, I've had a good run and I've got three or four, four books coming out anyway, so it will seem as if I was still around. And, and yeah. Uh, it's been a blessed time. And I've been very lucky to have it. I spend a lot of time at the hospital nowadays and I see people who, see people who are, have a much, much more severe fate than I do. I've, I've been to, left the strength to work. I can still do it. I can make this phone call, for example. V very well. I mean, without, without missing a beat, really. I mean, we, yes. uh, talking to you, my, my, my only, my only wish is, is that I, I, I see you soon. But, you know, you, you are, you are here, Clive. Right here. You know, I'm an old, I'm an old performer. Uh, it's practice 
and I love performing on your stage. I do regret that I probably won't get across the Atlantic again. I well, love that. It was it was it was a magnificent kind of marvelous magical night because we had, we yes. had we, and we've only met that one time. And I feel, yes. of course, I feel that I know you, and indeed I do through what you through the traces yes. you, you leave for all of us for all of us to to read. I think that cultural amnesia. Um, the 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 new title you want to give the Homeric title, with your interest and and perhaps even obsession, but certainly love uh, for uh, trees and plums and all of that natural world, seems like a very good title, and you you might you, right, you, know. you might pursue it. You know you might pursue it. Now one thing I'm I'm wondering is you you re, re, you you've collected your poems. But also in your latest readings, which could at least could as well have been called latest readings and rereadings, um, yeah. I I'm I'm curious about how it has felt for you to reread certain works. Um, I'm I'm always very interested in the subject of of taste and age and the the effect that the passage of time has on our early um our early fidelities things we have we have loved once upon a time that maybe with the passage of time changes and i'm i'm rem- reminded of of a, a wonderful gerald manley hopkins poem where he says is this made plain what I, what have i come across here that will serve me for comparison the sceptic disappointment and the loss a boy feels when the poet he pours upon grows less and less sweet to him and knows no cause. Mm. Well, I know exactly what he means. I get a bit ashamed that I was once so obtuse um, and didn't see the point. When I read something again and realize I, I almost missed it first time, I, I found out with the novels of Conrad which I've, I've recorded this feeling in, uh, in latest readings, as I barely understood them at the time as the, as the political books that they were. And I felt the same way about rereading Anthony Pohl. And, uh, I, and, I, and I read um, uh, Olivia Manning for the first time and got ashamed that I hadn't read her earlier. So there's, there's regret built into it. But uh, I'm going to reread War and Peace again. Um, because I may as well behave as if I've got forever. And there's been a very good BBC serial of War and Peace running here. I think uh, the, the Weinstein Production Company is mixed up in it, so there must be a scheduled showing coming up for the US. It'll be a sensation when it does. And, uh, and I've enjoyed it so much, and it's going to drive me back to the book, which I've read several times. And I would like to read it once more. And I think I'll see more in it simply because I see more. I'm older. It is a, it's a great privilege of being allowed to grow old. Are there certain books that you, you would be afraid of rereading? No, I don't think so. Uh, I mean, could you, for instance, uh, reread... Uh, well, I'll give you examples for myself that would make me worried. Um, if I reread some of the 
books when I was that I read when I was sixteen and seventeen. I'm I'm mentioning in particular perhaps Hermann Hesse. Um, if I reread Siddhartha or Damien or uh, Narcissus and Goldmund, or if I reread the Alexandria Quartet by Lawrence Durrell, I'm I'm afraid that I I might see in it. You mustn't read the Alexandria Quartet again, because I'm afraid it's it's just a plate of overripe fruit. But Hesse is interesting. For Hesse was very interesting for what he didn't say, for how he managed to ignore most of the Nazi era. And uh, there's a sort of right-wing heroism in a book like Morgenlandfahrt, yeah. uh, which encap- encapsulates this this Nazi quest. He wasn't a Nazi, but he talked like one. Yeah. And uh, uh, the Nazi quest, is, of course, is the is the group of highly trained, muscular young men, sometimes accompanied with a beautiful girl who looks like Lenny Riefenstahl, and they're either trekking through the snow or heading up the north face of Pitsbalu. And it's uh, uh, he was he was very good at it. It does make you wonder. But I wouldn't mind even reading. Remember the glass bead? Oh yes. So that though that is a great and and tremendously complex and subtle book. It's a way into the hippie era too. Yes. Also, it's a it's a way into into the the European experience. I might do it again. Although I've got a feeling that I would rather do more with Goethe. And who else? No, no, no. What else would you? So we have Goethe on your list. And we have uh, um, War and Peace. Well, I thought of translating Faust, but it's been very well done by Louis McNeese. And uh, I don't think it, it needs to be done. But some of the uh, the big prose books by Goethe, I haven't done them justice. They said there really is not much, there's enough to be going on with. <laughs> you, you really sometimes feel like throwing up your hands and telling everybody to stop. There's enough. Yeah. There'll always be more. And, 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 <laughs> and for you, and for you in terms of writing, there's a poetry, but there's always, there are always essays. I think that one of the things that I love most about your work is the way in which you have um, sort of immersed yourself in the capabilities of the essay. The essay as form, as, as Adorno would have had it, or Lukács, is really important to you. And the, the notion of the essay as a, a, way, f- uh, a way for discovery, uh, through digression. Um, you know, Adam Phillips, uh, I, I think, beautifully uh, sort of rephrasing the notion of Lawrence Stern, who said that digression is the sunshine of narrative, um, Adam says that digression is secular revelation. I was heavily influenced by Lawrence Stern way back in the 50s when I was first at university in Sydney. And Tristram Shandy was my handbook and still is uh, in a way. But for me, the essay and the poem are very close together. They're continuous with each other. They're two versions of the one thing. And uh, I like those poems best which have an essay content, and I like those essays best, best which have a poetic content. I don't think the two things are, are necessarily separated at all. They're certainly the two forms that I've that I've worked in most often. And my my prose books are essentially collections of essays, and I think this uh, next big one, if I write it, will be the same. There's nothing you can't do in an essay except 
you can't write the thing that can be read out on stage as a poem. And uh, I do think of the poem as a performance, a sort of song without music, except when you listen hard, you realize the music is already in it. You know, there's um, a, a line um, in Adam Phillips's new book that serves as an epigraph to, to the book, which is called Unforbidden Pleasures. And it is from Tristram Shandy. And it says, to, to define is to distrust. <laughs> I like that. Doesn't, uh, doesn't uh, Lawrence remind you of Lichtenberg sometimes? Yes, yes. That, 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 that extraordinary way of, of writing light, um, but in the sense of bringing light uh, aphorisms, that sort of... Lightness uh, with the light thought. That's right. That that illuminate and that you know make that they they are in a way time bombs. They wake you up yes. many times. Um, do, do you agree? Oh yes, I more than agree. I, I'm stealing from both of them. Yeah, Berg is always with me, but they're all always with me. It'll be, it's going to be. I'll be sorry to say goodbye to it all. One does get a little tired anyway. I don't know what my life would be like if I hadn't been ill. I think I would have been fairly strong as an old man. It might have lasted quite a while. But my illness really took things out of me. I'm just very glad that it left me with some brains left. That was a lucky break, wasn't it? Well, Clive, I mean, it's it's such such a, a, a fabulous pleasure for me. I mean, really a pleasure and privilege to speak to you. Um, you know... We were speaking, but I don't think in a, in a, in a sad, mournful way of those words um, after Wittgenstein you would want to 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 leave. What mostly? What would you like to be remembered as? I think there's no telling, and that's what I like about it. You can, if you do a lot of work, when I've done a reasonable amount. Uh, some of it might be remembered, but you can't tell which bit. Uh, there are one or two poems. Uh, my first volume of memoirs, Unreliable Memoirs, which I'm very fond of. Uh, it might have a chance. Bits of it might live. Uh, but I'd like to be remembered as someone who enjoyed the language and drew attention to its enjoyability. The language is the great treasure. I think it was uh, Derek Walcott or maybe Salman Rushdie who very generously said, the language is the empire. And, that, and that's, that's true even of America. In some ways, the language incorporates you. The, the English language is the empire that includes even America. And uh, it's a fabulous language. And that's why I like to read others. It goes on proving to me how fabulous uh, English is. Russian is probably more beautiful. Italian is certainly more beautiful, but nothing is quite as flexible as English. It hasn't got a, nothing else has got England's English. The range of tones you can use in English makes it the ideal language for poetry. It's not too pretty. It's not too severe. It's supremely capacious and flexible. It's a pleasure to use. English poets never give up. Have you noticed? <laughs> you can't stop them. How wonderful. Um... Clive, a, a, a delight to speak to you. Um, oh, I, you, I, you I, wore me out, sir, but 
I'm very glad that you have. Uh, well, I'm, 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 I'm so pleased to be to be speaking to you, and I will call you again, and and I will stay in touch. But in the meantime, from the bottom of my heart, thank you, thank you for taking the time of taking my call, thank you for being there, and thank you for inspiring. The bottom of my heart, uh, I feel the same, and I do hope you call when uh, my collected poems comes out late. late this year, maybe early next I, year. I right? will, and, and, and if, should there be a possibility for you to cross the pond, let's make it happen. No, there's no chance of that. I, I can't really leave Cambridge. I can't leave the house, in fact. And uh, if I could fly anywhere, uh, I'd probably go to Australia, but uh, just to take one last look. But no, I, I shan't be moving. Well, maybe I, maybe, maybe I can come and visit you. I would love that. Well, I wish you would. I'd love to see New York right now. The snow is there, isn't it? The snow, the snow, the snow has covered the cars, and they look like, like, uh, like cakes. I mean, like, like very, very, like if there was meringue on each car, they they're completely <laughs> covered. So some of the poems you read were uh, very apropos in a way. Yeah, I'd love to see that. A huge hug to you. Okay. Thank you very much for, for speaking with me. Good and much, much love. Yeah. Bye-bye. Great pleasure. Bye-bye.